welcome everybody to The Queer Experience. I am your host, Eric Grimmine, I use he, they pronouns, and today is a special bonus episode of The Queer Experience because I am joined by a super special guest to talk about Glass Onion of the Knives Out Cinematic Universe, because if I say that, we'll we'll breathe that into reality. Yes. Um, I'm going to let my guest, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, maybe of just tell course. us your name, your pronouns, and and what what got you excited about doing this check? Because I know you were really pumped about it. Yeah. So, hi, my name is Casper Oliver. I use he, fey, and they pronouns. Um, and I was really excited to come on and do this episode because I've actually been a murder mystery entertainer since 2019. Well, technically 2017, I did my first murder mystery play. Um, and ever since then, I've just been enamored with the realm of whodunit entertainment considering that I've been loving the stories ever since I was a kid with like the great mouse detective from the Disney movie back as a kid. And then Knives Out came out and I just said this before we recorded, loved the movie, obsessed with it, watched it like five times in a week. And then the sequel was announced and I was nervous, but then mm-hmm. it was really fucking good. <laughs> and yeah, so, was... Yeah. They well, like they announced, well, they announced the sequel and I was excited and then I was also like, oh, God, okay, like, do you got to do it right? And then every casting announcement that they had for it, I was just like, okay, this is good. Okay, mm-hmm. this is better. Okay, mm-hmm. this is even better. Yeah. I'm so like, I'm sold. And then they got Janelle Monet, who, oh, right. my gosh, <laughs> killed it in that role. <laughs> I So I went, like, I, I went into the movie with the, like, like general knowledge that people have seen in theaters and like Janelle Monet was like the name that everyone was throwing around. Like they're like, Oh, mm-hmm. like Oscar buzz, da, 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 like Janelle Monet, Janelle Monet. And I was just like, okay, like I just need, I just need to know like what that means because I've seen other movies that have like Oscar buzz and different things going on. And when like, and then I got nervous because I, I saw, I was like, Ooh, this this actor is getting a lot of Oscar buzz for this random movie. Please don't tell me that means that they die. And then they did. And I was like, oh, well, there we go. And so I was worried about what this was going to mean for Janelle in this movie, but I'm, I'm excited. I was excited about what she got to do. Yes. Um, and it was so cool. Like, because Knives Out has this trend of well, the series, the cinematic universe has this trend where uh, Benoit Blanc pairs up with a badass woman of color and they solve the mystery together. And I think part of the reason I was so excited for Janelle was seeing a queer person of color taking that role and like seeing that it was a, a out and proud queer, like someone who had just like recently stepped into being a queer icon because I'm pretty sure Janelle's non-binary. Correct. I, I remember that. Yes, I believe okay. that their their understanding of I think it was a like gender is a very fluid and I forget the exact phrase that they used, but yes, there was a level of like non-binary gender non-conforming that that they came out with. Yeah, and just seeing that in oh yeah, they have Vatriarch on their Instagram, which I love. Oh my goodness, but it was just so cool as a gender non-conforming person myself getting to see that. Even if like I'm white, it was still like holy shit, you know, you're representing and lifting up our community, and also like just with how well the first movie did of handling 
like Marta, for example, I was so excited to see what sort of role Janelle was going to be stepping into. And as a, I'm sure, is this a spoiler? Okay. Oh, we're, yeah, we're going to, I mean, if I'll put that in the, in the show notes, but we're definitely going to talk about spoilers in this. We're definitely okay, talking cool. spoilers. Because when Janelle's character, Andy, first came out i was like okay here's our marta i i knew that from the introduction scene with busting the box i was like this is our marta okay yeah i'm excited for this i'm ready and then they died quote unquote and i was like oh uh uh um no R- ryan ryan <laughs> what are we doing and then the flashback and then we got to meet helen And as a rural country bumpkin kid who has always felt like I don't belong at the fancy people table, right? I'm, I cried getting to know Helen because I was like, this, it felt so like seen, you know? And to have a hero who talks like this, you know? And she's like, I don't have the same amount of education as you all do, but I got a lot of heart and I care. And that makes me better, you know, than you shitheads. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, I I love Helen. I love Helen so much. And we all knew that Benoit Blanc was fruity. We all knew. And then they confirmed it. And I was like, thank you for feeding us (laughs) queers what we need. Thank you for giving us these... Well, I mean, like, and I, and I appreciate it. Like, I think I, I love that they've like went there with the character. I do think I wish there would have been like half a beat where like we would have seen him interact with Hugh Grant. Yes. Like, like even just like a little, like, I've got a mystery and I get, I get now why we didn't get that because of the way that it all unfolded where it was, if we would have had that moment, we would have seen Janelle Monet at mm-hmm. the door, but like, I do hope if, the, if there's another Knives Out movie and we, we will manifest the Knives Out cinematic universe that like the next one, I saw someone on Twitter being like, I want Hugh Grant and, uh, and Daniel Craig to be going on vacation and like Daniel Craig being like, I'm definitely not going to do any murder mystery solving. And then like a murder mystery happens around them. And they, he spends the entire movie just like trying to not get caught by Hugh Grant Solving the murder. Solving the murder. <laughs> and it's fucking I, brilliant. And I want it. Oh my god, no. Perfect premise. You know, Ryan Johnson, you feel free to take this. Take it, put it on a cruise ship. All right? Because if a murder happens on the cruise ship and they're way out at sea, well, who else yep. to solve it than world-famous detective Benoit Blanc? <laughs> but they're there for a vacation. And that also means that they can't, like, call in for more help and they got to sneak around the ship. I think that'd be smart. Or a train. Classic murder mystery. Put it on a train. Just, like, um, give it, like, somewhere that, like, they're there. Well, I also joke that, like, I'm like, send send Benoit Blanc to White Lotus. Like, just send him to a White Lotus resort. Yeah. <laughs> so he can deal with the, like, obscene rich white people that are having rich white people problems. I mean, honestly, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I know you said it a bit ago, but what, I guess I'm curious, and we'll take a step back maybe from Glass Onion, but what got you, like, excited and into, like, the murder mystery whodunit? genre like as a whole like what what was it about this that like really caught you 
You know, Eric, thank you for asking. I don't get to talk about this nearly enough. And my autism brain is so delighted. So what got me first interested into murder mysteries was growing up, I watched The Great Mouse Detective on VHS over and over and over and over again. And I was obsessed with like the characterization of Basil and the whole element of like, there is a mystery happening and to solve it, you have to know people, you have to know your environment, you have to like have confidence in this assuredness. And as a uh, unknowing autistic queer person, I saw a lot of myself in Basil slash Sherlock um, that a lot of other queer and autistic folks see themselves in these characters. And so I got, and then fast forward to high school um, I was on Tumblr during the ripe, ripe age of Super Hulock, and I got very into BBC Sherlock, which I don't like it anymore, um, but high school me did, and it got me introduced to like the Robert Downey Sh- Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies with Jude Law as Watson, and yeah. it took me down to I eventually discovered Granada with Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes, which I had a crush on him when he was in My Fair Lady. So I was like, well, <laughs> I, I, it shows that I was raised by my grandparents. Just keep that in mind. The more I say about my childhood, I was raised by my grandparents. Um, but I loved just like the kind of people that were shown in the media because in murder mysteries and whodunits, whether they're capers or, or heists or whatever, so many people are fundamentally flawed and that isn't always held against them because everyone is fucked up in these stories. Usually like it's, that's why so many people are like suspects because they've like made poor choices or gotten their gotten way in over their heads. Or sometimes they're just really shitty people, you know, and you're like, well, I wouldn't put it past you to kill somebody or steal their stuff. And then it, part of the reason why I love performance art and storytelling is I think it encourages people to step outside of their own experiences and step into the shoes of another. So it encourages things like empathy. And Mm -hmm. I hold that very true to even playing like really bad shitty characters, not, not because I think we should empathize with them or that we should coddle them. I think it's very important to know how a person gets there because you need to know how a person gets to that point to be able to catch yourself from doing it. So there's like all, all of these things. And I, for a short period of time, wanted to actually be a real life detective. I watched a bunch of forensic files (laughs) and stuff. And then I realized I'm too squeamish. I'm, um, I care too much in the sense of if I had to tell someone their family member died, I would not. I could not. I could not do that. And also, a cab. I don't want to be part of the system, right? So I decided to play detective. And then 2017, I was cast in a play production of An Act of the Imagination by Bernard Slade, which is a kind of classic play rendition of a British murder mystery. It takes place in the uh, in the 
60s or 50s, I think. And I played the femme fatale, Miss Brenda Simmons. And, uh, I was having a, a, a quite raunchy affair with a, with an author, an author, right? So I was going to blackmail the family. And I had to learn Welsh for that role. Fun fact, I don't speak Welsh. I still don't speak Welsh. Um, you, you learned some words in a script to make it work. I did. And the, there was an actress and I who had to have a conversation in Welsh. And neither of us knew Welsh because we're, we were both like, you know, living in Florida. Neither of us had left the country, like, you know, and the director, he did his absolute best to get us a recording of like actual Dutch people reading the lines, Welsh people, sorry, actual like Welsh people speaking the lines. And unfortunately the audio quality was terrible and they were both children. So they were kind of mumbling and slurring and we were like, oh, Victor, thank you. Uh, and so we had to like sit together, but it was a wonderful production. It was great fun. And it made me realize like, oh, building a mystery has my favorite parts of storytelling, which are like foreshadowing. I love foreshadowing or sprinkling little tricks and little bits because I love replay value, which the Knives right. Out movies has that in spades. Um, and then eventually I got to audition for a company uh, that performed nationwide murder mystery parties. And I learned about Knives Out because that company actually did some of the promo material for Knives Out during their advertising period. Um, I won't say the name of the company because I no longer work for them. Um, but uh, it was a great experience to get to like perform murder mysteries all across the United States. Um before the global panini hit. <laughs> and then right. after that, we moved to Zoom. So it's been this whole journey of like, nowadays, I'm like writing murder mysteries of my own and performing for multiple companies now, um, like Conundrum House and Broadway Mysteries, and getting to kind of share this joy. Because one of my favorite things of murder mysteries specifically, and this is something maybe a jumping off point to somewhere else, but I think it's really interesting when you look at murder mysteries all across the world from like different countries, different continents and everything, what are people willing to kill for? Because that changes from culture to culture. What's worth murdering for? What's worth stealing? What's worth these crimes for? And I think that's a kind of an interesting way to start to get a peek into a culture is like, okay, what do they value as good? And then what do they deem as bad? And what taboos are people willing to break for money, for love, for power, for all these things? Um, especially with genres like noir, like noir came around in the um, 1950s. It got popular here in the U S during war times. But now we're seeing that present day India with Bollywood is having, I think it was in 2019, they documented a surge in Bollywood noir, which one, oh, okay. I want to watch too. <laughs> it's like so interesting because like these, these genres kind of ebb and flow in popularity and they become most popular when countries are under extreme duress. And I think that's fascinating. Which, and I, you know, and I think looking at Glass Onion, I think whether, and some of this feels like it almost like was serendipitous the way that it played out in terms of like the villain arc and then what is actually happening in our reality around us right now. And the fact that basically this movie is making fun of Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. 
Like that is like at the crux, like that's really what we're doing is we're, we're making, we're making fun of Elon Musk. And like, it just like, cause obviously like, the filming of this kind of all started before like his, he actually took over Twitter and everything mm-hmm. else. So we like, what we're seeing is kind of this weird, we're making fun of this guy, but like he's actually risen in terms of the, the global spotlight. Mm-hmm. as the movie has come out, which just makes the parallels even that much more delicious. Mm-hmm. And I and I do think this movie did a good job of, I think is what you're saying before, is like really identifying like what would every person in that room murder for? Yeah. And I mean, and literally as like, she had her journal with like who has motive and checking the boxes on every single thing. It was fascinating. To, I mean, and, and it, I knew that they were going to do this where it's like everyone seemingly has motive. Mm-hmm. And like everyone is seemingly kind of like could be like the minute they're like, look, it's um, I'm I'm gonna blank on character names, but like it's Catherine Hahn, the one other guy like off in the corner of the pool having yep. this weird side chat. Which the minute they're doing that, I was like, well, it's not them. You're literally throwing them in front of me. It's not them. I thought the I, twist with them was going to be that they were having an affair. Like that's mm. what I thought was happening. But then at the end, I was like, oh, they just trust each other. They're confidants. But I thought that was going right. to be the twist on them. But anyway, continue. Sorry. No, but like, I think it was, I think they did a good job of like really laying out, like, here's all these possible things. And the whole time you're kind of like, I mean, it could be Edward Norton's character. Like it could be, he's right there. And that seems so in my brain, like it seems so obvious that it's him, that it couldn't be him. Because I think it was, I think it was, is it the office when they're like talking about like murder mysteries and it's like, it's never the one you most suspect and it's never the one you least suspect. It's always the one you most medium suspect. Mm-hmm. And then like that was kind of thrown asunder. Cause like my most medium suspect people was like Dave Batista. Like he and was then... in that realm of like, and I was like, and then a bitch went down on pineapple juice. <laughs> I was like, Are you kidding me? I I'm not gonna lie I I thing with going into Glass Onion as a murder mystery entertainer who's done hundreds of these performances is that I walked into the movie and this is a bit of my own like not naivete but my own like oh I know what's going on and then they threw it for a loop which was great I appreciated that but the whole Edward Norton as like, ah, welcome to my murder mystery dinner. You all are going to solve my death. I was like, well, clearly he's not actually going to die because like, he's too like proud about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be someone else in the room because I've played the guy who's been like, all right, everyone, welcome to my mansion. Now one of you must kill me tonight. You only get my money if you kill me. And then someone else dies. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so like, <laughs> when the movie started, but I'm not going to lie. Um, I can't remember his name. David's character. I didn't expect him to go down. And then he did. And I was like, oh. Right. And you're like, oop. Well, there's that. Yep. I'll admit though, I was very, my wife and I were both really excited because my wife's half Filipino. And so his character walking around with the Filipino son just tattooed on his chest. Like (laughs) we were both like, like, yeah, you're a dick bag through and through, but hell yeah. I say when when you were talking about like how like Ed Ed Norton, you're like, oh, like he probably, he can't die because it's like this, this thing. When, when I was watching that whole thing unfold, I was like, after they, like after uh, Benoit Blanc got up and was like, 
well, it's this way. And like the arrow's going to shoot and yada, yada, yada. And then you're going to do a thing and this, that. Mm-hmm. I was still waiting for him to drop. Cause I was oh, like, yeah. oh, like that's like, and then, cause I, w- I was waiting for that parallel of like, he staged a murder mystery and then all these people have come together to murder him. And then I was, pre- I was excited when that wasn't it because if I was like, if I'm calling it at that early of a stage and you do that, it means that it wasn't done well because I, I as like very not good at guessing these things person, <laughs> like any, any movie, like I like the scream movies. Like I love horror. I love scream. I love all those. Like every single scream movie. I'm always like, Ooh, who's the killer going to be? And then when they reveal, I'm always like, Oh my God, I'm so shocked. Where did this come from? But like other friends are like, Eric, it was, it was laid out in front of you. And I was like, listen, I get caught up in the moment. <laughs> Listen, and that makes it more fun for you to experience. And and I think that's what they did well, though, was like when they, when, especially when we talked about Ray, when they did the flip from Andy to Helen, like to Helen, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, because we're like, I look like they did, like she went down and I was like, well, I was like, she's not dead. Like I can just, I, I, I don't have good reason to believe it, but like, she's not dead. Like you didn't bring Janelle Monet into a movie to kill her at the one hour mark. Right. And then leave her there. Yeah. No. And so like that, like for me, and then when we jumped back and it, and the, they redid the whole thing back together and he like was quote unquote, like peeling back the layers of the onion. I was like, Oh, Oh bitch, look at this. And yeah. like, it's like, oh, like, that's why she, like, that's why she was breaking a box with a hammer instead of doing the thing with her friend, like, that everyone else was doing. And it was really interesting and fun to see all the pieces, like, line back up in place yeah. with this different information about, like, who did what. But the whole time, you're just like, it's, is it Miles? It feels like it, like, it still feels like it could be him, but maybe it's not because it's but- all, like, everyone's awful. Mm-hmm. And they did that great thing of like, uh, and this was something that I really appreciated more on our second watch through of it. When at the first like watch, it's like, oh well, it couldn't be him. He's too smart and he's too genius and blah blah blah. And then it's like, no, you're you're a dumbass. <laughs> you you are a selfish, entitled, thoughtless little prick, aren't you? Like, yeah. and and it's, so it's this whole thing of the reason that they were dismissing him is they thought he was too smart to do it. And then they realize he was just not smart enough to do it. <laughs> like, because yeah. his genius isn't his own. It's everyone else that he pays with his stupid amount of money to be smart for him. And like every time he gets an idea to do something, it gets implanted in his head by another character in the movie. He doesn't have an original idea of his own. Right. Which that was, I think, one of the best parts where they like lining up all, with, especially with, like when Benoit Blanc was just like pissed at everything. He's like, "Wait, you put pineapple juice in the thing? You're so stupid." And then like, "Oh, you put a gun down in a dark room? I literally said that to you. I inadvertently gave, gave you, you all of the ways to do this." Yeah, and I also love. <laughs> um, the the bit where it's like because it, it it really talked about and like okay sorry I had to gather my thoughts I've made a joke multiple times that in tabletop RPGs that bards are an underrepresented level of villain 
because a good bard can be a great villain. The tie back Mm -hmm. to this is the entire point of Miles is that he'll do things in front of people and then just talk it away. Be like, yeah, he picked up my drink. But (laughs) they all saw him just put it in his hand. And it's like, no, no, no. He picked up my drink. You you tried to poison me. (laughs) And they believe it. Because as I think it was Helen said, his shit works. Right. Right. Which, uh, also another thing about Miles, because you brought up a a Twitter thread that you saw earlier that you loved. Um, A Twitter thread that I saw (laughs) earlier about Miles. And I would love to actually bring up the one you saw. But the one that I saw was, I love how unfuckable Miles is. Because Ryan Johnson learned from the first movie how everyone thirsted over Chris Evans as Ransom. And he was like, no, he's the, he's, okay, we're, we're doing this better. And then they introduced Miles, who they could have made. I mean, they, they had oh, like yeah. Edward Norton. They could have made him sexy. They could have made him appealing. They had so much. And then they just made him like the most unfuckable dude. <laughs> and I love that, honestly. It was yeah, I mean, well, because, I mean, and here's the problem, like, in the first one, they put, well, first off, if you didn't want someone to be fuckable, like, don't cast Chris Evans, because yeah. that was your first, but then your second problem is you put him in those fucking chunky sweaters, and I don't know what it is about those knit chunky sweaters that, like, I would give up a lot of my morals for, but, like, that's where we were, and I was like, and, like, the whole time, and I think during that one, the whole time, I'm like, okay, like, I know he's, like, a dickhead, like, I know he's a bad person, like, I know he's someone who would, like, fuck me one night and then, like, never call me again or only text me at 3 a.m. to be like, hey, you up? But, like, I'd still make that decision. Like, I would still, knowing all of that information, <laughs> would have said yes. Yeah. And because like, you put him in that sweater. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing over there. It hugs the muscles. and ju- Listen, I'm asexual, <laughs> but I can still say that the way that knit sweater hugged Chris <laughs> Evans' muscles... I'm not attracted to like actors really. Cause they're like, it's like too real. But there was a point when I was watching the movie and I was looking at them all as fictional characters that I was like, if you're not the killer, which I think you are, but if you're not, I'll have some thoughts. And then he was, and I'm like, well, <clears throat> there he goes off to jail. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and realistically, I think, I mean, I don't know. I feel like a number, I mean, maybe aside from like Kate Hudson's character who is like, just like oozing kind of sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She was like, she was oozing as a uh, Jane Krasinski would put it. She was oozing her sec- sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the, the whole cast was just kind of like frazzled and like falling apart. I was probably like Janelle, Kate Hudson. And then um, the woman who played whiskey. I um, love whiskey. Oh my she God. She was so good. Whiskey. Uh, I, what, <laughs> before we before we go too far, I, I meant to start that start us off talking about the beginning of the movie because it yes. was I was screaming. So Ryan Johnson called up Stephen Sondheim, Angela Lansbury, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and I'm gonna blank on the fourth one. There was a fourth who was the fourth person in the Oh my god, I'll look it up. Oh, uh Natasha Leone. Yes. Called up all. I'm so, sorry to Natasha Leone. I did not forget you. You're always in my heart. Um, but like the four of them on Zoom playing Among Us had me literally screaming at the beginning of the movie as like a 
oh, right, they did a lot of this during COVID. Like we're, we're nestling this in the COVID. And, and I actually thought they did a nice job of like entering the space of like, this is happening during COVID mm-hmm. and then finding some ways to kind of roll it back. So it's not like a constant, but like the yeah. beginning chunk when like, he's dealing with depression because he's in his bathtub and playing among us with Angela Lansbury. Like it was just such a wacky way to start it. And then with like a little bit of masking at the beginning, I did love the like Kate Hudson. Always um, having it under the nose. No, Kate Hudson's was like a net. Oh, she had the the Lana Del Rey mask. (laughs) Yes. She had the Lana Del Rey mask. And like, just like, I think it was one of those things like it was, it, it was almost, I don't want to say it was refreshing because co- nothing about the pandemic is that, but I think there was something no. grounding in setting it in a way where it's like, okay, like I, I understand the time, the point in time where they are. Mm-hmm. And I did love this, the, the plot device to get the masks off of them was whatever thing that they injected them with. Yeah. And I love how people online have been like, you know, that's another bullshit thing that miles probably just did. And so it's not really important to know whether or not it actually worked because that's not really the point of the story, but it kind of just further showed this blase, like whatever about this, like globally affecting issue. And it's just like, of course he has some sort of cure slash fake cure slash whatever it was just like chilling in his island that he's not sharing with the world. No, he's keeping it for himself. But he'll use it with friends to simply just do his thing. Yeah, and it's like, of of course. And that's a thing that I think that both movies did really well. And I I used to be very anti-movies dating themselves. It's like, if you make the movie too dated, then it really becomes stuck in that period of time. But as I've gotten older, the more I've been like, I think that that can actually, if well done, be a very nice added piece to a movie because then Mm -hmm. it's like not only are you watching this fun movie but this shows somewhat what the energy was like at these times in history right so you see like a lot of 90s shows are very dated but they take you right back to the 90s because it's very 90s and it's it's kind of like that the first knives out movie coming out when like trump was in office and all of this like like protests in the street were happening and talk of immigration and racism and all of these things were covered in the movie, whether in passing or like with Marta's family being undocumented and that being like an actual like discussed issue. And then with glass onion, they come out with, you know, I, and we actually all did talk about like the way that the characters mask shows a lot about them as characters. So like you have David and whiskey I, I know David's not the character's name, but I can't remember. Uh, he was, hold on, I've got it. I've literally pulled it up. It, he was Duke. Duke. Duke that's Duke right. Cody. Okay. Yeah, so Duke and Whiskey, they weren't masking like, at all, right? But nope. you you know that Duke probably doesn't believe in the pandemic. And Whiskey is just following everything that Duke says because she feels like that's her only chance. Listen, as someone who is raised female, I really empathize with Whiskey because I've seen so many women go down similar paths of like, listen, I don't know how I'm going to make it on my own. But this guy's giving me a bone and I'm good. So anyway, I love whiskey. I'm a whiskey apologist. <laughs> Somewhat. Um, but then like, as you mentioned with Kate Hudson's character, she just had the Lana Del Rey mask. And there's yeah. the scientist who he was properly masking. He wasn't hugging uh, Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. He wasn't hugging. He wasn't, you know, anything. He wore his mask, all that, because yeah. he's a scientist, right? And then there's the politician who she would mask, 
but she always she would like let it slip down her face until someone else pointed it out and then she would like pull it back up above her nose or and i just thought these little touches were so nice so oh, yeah. nice for these and also like um benoit blanc who he had the mask on and was like you know all right is this safe? What is this? What are you putting on my mouth? Not, oh, okay. Uh, did that work? Or I guess it did. Okay, we're going. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting on a boat. I'm doing a thing. It is what it is. I'm doing this for Helen. <laughs> here, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do love how they kind of put it in the period. So, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, and I think it, it was just a nice, like, it it just gave it a little bit of that, that grounding. Cause again, it was something where like, Oh, like, right. I know, like, I know what this is and I know what this experience was. I mean, I don't know if everyone can like directly relate to Daniel Craig in a bathtub playing among us with people on zoom. But like, I mean, the number of games of among us, I played on zoom or discord with friends during the pandemic. Like, that all felt so familiar. And it was, it was again, like if it was one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of entry points of like how you can suddenly feel connected to the world that they have built. You, like, and knowing that it's, it's nestled in a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And like, once we got to the Island, like, and then we were like, okay, it's whatever. Like this could be any, this could be any point in time now. Right. Um, but just, yeah, the, that little bit in the opening was, was really kind of fun. Yeah. And kind of disarming a little bit when I was like, I didn't expect to, I mean, I knew I probably read it somewhere, but I did not expect to see Stephen Sondheim, Natasha Leone, Angela Lansbury, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just like on a Zoom call trying to explain to Daniel Craig how to play Among Us. I do love, and I, I this might be like a niche relation, but I love murder mysteries. Right. I love them. Right. I, I like to consider myself a whodunit aficionado or whatever the fuck, right? That doesn't mean I'm good at games like Among Us or Werewolf. I <laughs> am terrible, at, especially if I'm the imposter or the werewolf. Yep. Oh my God. And so watching him not know how to be the imposter, I was like, oh, oh thank you. Thank you, Benoit Blog. <laughs> and also, just speaking of cameos. I'm so terrible with names, but the tennis player that was in uh, Serena Williams, Serena Williams. Cause like they had the poster of her in the gym as they were just talking. And I was like, Oh look, they got a Serena Williams poster. And then she moved. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Hey y'all. And I'm like, they got Serena Williams. And the, the other one that like, you'd only, you like I saw it because someone, I saw a, a picture of the credits for the movie, but the, the hourly dong was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, he's literally credited as Hourly Dong. <laughs> can you, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Can you imagine having this built-ass resume, and then one of your roles is Hourly Dong? <laughs> and honestly, having watched enough of his stuff and the things that he's done and, like, followed him for as many years as I have, like, Honestly, I think he probably thinks that's amazing. Yeah. And would probably highlight it on his resume and be like, no one even knew I was in this movie, but I did it because I thought it was funny. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That and, so now, um... Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. You're in. Oh, uh, the, the guy who played, um, the, uh, the random, like, stoner dude living on the island. That yes, I got, was... I got IMDb up. It's Noah, Noah Sagan. Who, fun fact, played one of the cops in the first Knives Out. 
Oh yeah, sure did. Trooper yeah. Wagner. Yeah, he was Trooper Wagner <laughs> in the first movie. Oh goodness! And I because I, I didn't even recognize him, and I'm like, I was like, who is this guy? Why is he here? Like, it, it's I I was like, okay, he's not a suspect. It's whatever. And then my wife looked it up on TV TV tropes. I think it was after the movie. She's like, that was Trooper Wagner. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? So, oh, I, was, I think just shifting, like my brain was shifting gears a little bit. So, like, I think looking at the movie, cameos amazing, which I think was also, I think the cameos in it were like almost like again, like disarming me a little bit. Like, oh my god, it's Serena Williams. Yeah. I'm not going to pay attention to the thing that's going on here because Serena Williams is present. They did them well, though. They, oh yeah, felt 100%. out of place. They all felt really well done. They felt well done. They felt good, and they felt like. I mean, whether or not they were like, I guess, quote, like necessary to plot is a different like, but it was it was all like the very like weird, almost misdirects of moments and like mm-hmm. what's going on. And so I'm curious as somebody who is is a, a whodunit aficionado, at what point did you feel like you figured out what was going on? Or so, did you have that moment? So I, okay. I spent a good chunk of the beginning of the movie kind of like eliminating like which characters, right? So I kind of quickly eliminated um, Andy slash Helen because I was like, okay, I'm assuming this is our Marta, right? And right. so I kind of kept that and I was right. And I I was kind of expecting to be a little wrong because I, I most of the time when I make these guesses, I'm kind of half expecting to be wrong. Um, but... So I kind of figured out she was our Marta early on. Uh, I was very suspicious of the politician lady because, yeah, politics. Um, <laughs> but also, just like Kat- Catherine Hahn is amazing, and I love seeing her in a villain, villain or villain adjacent role. So, like, yeah, she did a ama- all again. All of the actors in this movie did a phenomenal job. Um, I was not entirely sure about Duke because my my opinion on him was that like any of the murders that happened wouldn't be done in a very Duke way, considering that Duke literally always carries a gun. And so it was one of those things where it was like, and no one was shot until after he died. So I was like, okay, well, it's not him. Right. Cause no one else has been shot. So I, I assumed him with guns and I think it was about, I think it was during a the flashback cut scene that Helen is explaining to Benoit, like, this is how they met and this is how things happened. One, he looked a lot like Matt Mercer in that scene, uh, <laughs> uh, Miles. <laughs> but yep. it was apparently a direct reference to a character from a 90s film who was like a con artist. So I was like, oh, nice little touch. But I was like, first, I was like, whoa, he looks like Matt Mercer. That's funny. Two. He's at the core of everything. Like, really, truly is at the core of all of these people's problems. And I'm like, if he's not dead yet, I think he's the killer. But I didn't know how, right? I didn't know, like, oh, he must have gone and done this. He must have done that. But I was kind of more like, it's probably him. But I don't know how, because they really set him up to be so smart. And that that got me. It wasn't until a second watch that I was like, wow, he really isn't that smart. Like, yeah. They got me. That was really good writing. <laughs> and it, and I, I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to give it a, a second watch yet because I, I was one of those people who I, I didn't see it in theaters because I didn't have the time over the like 35 Week. seconds that Netflix had it uh, available in theaters. 
Yeah, uh, which is a whole separate issue. But like the when it was in theaters was like a weekend that I wasn't able to like get out and go do something. And so mm-hmm. like I literally just watched it what like two days ago. Yeah, and so like I remember why I haven't had a chance to rewatch and see like what things did I miss. But I remember things that I was like they keep doing this, and it seems weird that they would keep like every time that the phone alert went off and then the Mona Lisa thing went up. I was like, okay, they keep doing, they keep drawing my attention to the thing going up. And in my brain, it was like, okay, it's not about the fact that the Mona Lisa is closing. It's about what's causing it to close, mm-hmm. which is the phone. Mm-hmm. And like, and like at the point when they were like huddled over looking at the phone, like kind of together right before like everything fell apart. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like I can piece together. Like I was able to piece together the spots where it's like, okay, these are the things that are, I think, actually important because you're mm-hmm. like sort of drawing my attention to it, but then also trying to misdirect me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you keep trying to go back to the Mona Lisa and draw my attention away from the phone. So like something clearly came up on the phone. And as soon as they talked about like, I can keep this out of the news for like a week, I was like, oh, that's what was on the phone. Yeah. Like the phone, like the, uh, the alerts, because Duke had alerts for literally everything, which I thought was ridiculous. And then also when the alerts stopped, stopped. you're like, okay, but where did like, I don't know. Like, I think that was where I started being like, okay, like this feels like miles could be doing something, but I, but like you, I couldn't figure out how or why, or like, exactly. well, I guess why was less, I mean, cause he was kind of a shit person. So like the why was almost, the why at some point we like for me with him was like a little bit irrelevant. Like, yeah, the why is just a shit person. Everyone, yeah, it's like you're you're a dou- douchebag billionaire. Like, whatever. <laughs> but like, but yeah, I think it was. I, I loved all those like those little pieces, and then of course the I mean the ending with uh, the Mona Lisa literally being set ablaze. That was and the thing that I was able to guess. I was knew that, she was that the Mona Lisa. I knew the Mona Lisa was going to be destroyed because yeah. it, the the constant re- like he wants to be talked about in the same breath as the Mona Lisa. I'm like, yeah, okay. I feel like I've met dudes that have weird goals like that. Sure. Um, but then as soon as he's like, oh, and I installed this little override and then pulled the thing to lower the glass. I was like, oh, dude, that's going to bite you in the ass so hard. It's yeah. going to bite you in the ass so hard. Also, uh, not to derail, but I do want to say that kind of just talking about this sphere of scenes, um, the scene where Andy trashed her apartment out of rage uh, there was something because like i only ever see male characters like super machismo rah, throwing things around but like seeing andy do it was like and she has a reason to trash right. her apartment in that moment in her house in that moment and because i've seen like somebody tell me so i want to see a woman just or a femme just to become so enraged and start throwing shit around the room and it's always been haha talked about and then they did it and then not only did it fit, but then she found the envelope or she found the napkin. Right. Right. And so it was like, not only did she get to have that, but then she got the leg up and then miles, (laughs) but just so many little good bits about this movie. Yeah. And that, I think it was, I mean, when they were talking about, um, when they like discovered the napkin, they talked like the napkin got introduced as like a, a thing. It was literally one of those things where you were like, it's definitely, in that, like, it's got to be somewhere in proximity to the to the fake, mm-hmm. and of course, you're like, of course, this like overly confident, mediocre man 
wouldn't actually just get rid of it to save his own skin. He's going to like put it somewhere in plain sight with a trophy, you know, as a trophy, as a note that like I beat her, I did the thing, but he just like, he just kept, kind of added up to like the, the him being super dumb and everything else. And like, I know, I know you referenced the, the Twitter thread that I saw and I'll, so there was a, as I was literally walking, I went to go get lunch today and discovered that half the places around me were closed because it's Christmas observed. And apparently that means everything is, is closed. Yeah. And so I was walking, like, I was walking around and I was like scrolling on Twitter while I was walking, which is probably bad because I live in a city and that's probably going to get me into trouble at some point. But like, I was I was looking at like somebody had quote tweeted like a thread from Ben Shapiro and Ben Shapiro being the uh, fucking idiot that he is was just like, this movie is so terribly written. It's so tropey. It's so dumb. Like, let me give you like my literary analysis of both how the writing and the politics of this movie are bad. And he tried to break down how the movie writing was bad because he thought he, he didn't call the mid mid movie twist I was like, no, it's just called good fucking writing, you idiot. And then like, but then it got to a point where he started talking about the politics of it. And he was going on and like talking about how we're, we're making fun of Miles because Miles is like an Elon Musk stand-in person. Yep. And, but like Elon Musk is actually a genius. And like Ryan Johnson, like is getting, is making millions off of this movie. So like, who's actually the idiot like the idiot millionaire and how it's actually Ryan Johnson. I was just like, what are we, I mean, granted, like I don't think I've ever agreed with anything that that man has said in, in the universe ever, but like, it was just a weird tirade to go on. And then to be like, you're making fun of Elon Musk. Like, how dare you? And I'm like, but like, and I, and I know that there are like Elon Musk diehards that will like hype for him until like their dying breath. But it's, it's like watching in real time right now him like actively destroy probably one of the most prominent social media platforms that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I know Facebook is big, I know Instagram is big, but like there's something about the platform of Twitter that has like, it is so ingrained in everybody and it has done so much for a lot of people in terms of like being able to like connect and like, I mean, that that's how that you and I are connected to do this yeah. because you saw my podcast stuff on Twitter and you were like, Hey, I would love to be part of this. And like, that's like that. We made, we made that connection in a way that you likely wouldn't make that same connection on something like Facebook in the, no. in the same way or elsewhere. And we're actively watching him single-handedly destroy this platform one day at a time. Like he's not a brilliant man. No. Like he's really not. He's a rich he's man. He's really not. And it's so wild to see people try and, and like project their own things about how they feel about, you know, like if, well, if Elon Musk is an idiot, then that, what, that, what does that mean for me? Because I, you know, who knows if like Ben Shapiro has like backed something he's done or whatever. I almost think like Ben Shapiro might be like a Catherine Hahn stand in, in this, in this like drama of things, but it's just like how it's, so it's such a weird thing to watch people, know and be able to see in front of you that someone is what they are mm-hmm. and then still be like, no, but like really he's a genius. And I know that that shouldn't be shocking because we had Trump and we still have Trump out there in the world. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just something about the way that I'm watching Elon Musk collapse. That is 
the parallel again we talked about like the timing of this movie came out at a point where like it, it's so significant right now that it's mm-hmm. like because he's even more in the public eye than he was probably when they were filming this right um but there, there was a bit oh go ahead no you please you please I was like, but then there were, I was like, the, but my big then moment of catharsis where I just sat there on my couch, literally like snapping my fingers and screaming was when Janelle Monet destroyed every fucking thing in that house. And then like and all then the other characters. Fire. Yeah. Oh my God. Cause one of the moments that I loved about that, that climax, right. Was, well, there was a lot of things that I loved about that one. I loved that it was because this isn't a thing a thought that i had the first time i watched it but it was a thought that i had the second time i watched it benoit blanc could have done exactly what helen did in that moment he was mad enough to clearly he was going off on everyone but benoit knew this wasn't his moment it wasn't Mm -hmm. his place and this was not his vengeance or his righteousness to give so he handed and he handed helen the whiskey and, this, and the little rock crystal thing, and it was like, you do this. This is for your sister. You know? And then he stepped back. I loved that. Two. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Helen going and just trashing everything. And then I did love that it was Whiskey, who was like, hell yeah! And like, cheering her on. <laughs> because they had bonded a little bit earlier of like, god, all these people suck. <laughs> All these people suck. And then it was kind of this symbolic moment of everyone else joined in for a little bit. But then everyone else stopped when it was like, okay, we we went far enough. But they didn't. And Helen was still going because they call themselves disruptors, but they're not. They are satisfied by the way things are because they have money. Now, they, they hate this position they're in because of Miles. But as Helen said, they are just holding on to that golden tit, right? And, you know, willing to smack everyone else away. And so that she kept going and then went for blood figuratively by going after the Mona Lisa. And one, I didn't realize, I didn't really know much about Edward Norton before the movie. Uh, The guy who played Miles. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Edward Norton. I didn't know much about him before the movie. But upon learning more about him... He's like this genius dude with like all these degrees and has done all of this work actually for the world and the environment and like has done and then plays this right just scum who fakes everything he says and he does it really well and I loved all of the almost cartoonish faces of misery that he made when the Mona Lisa was burning. So good. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous, but I would pay to see Elon Musk suffer like this. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it was, yeah, I mean, I've, I, so Ed Norton is somebody like I've, I've seen, I mean, I'm when I grew up in the, I guess, earlier years, like when he, when he kind of came up through like Fight Club and, ah, okay. um, and then um, the one I really loved him in was um, Death to Smoochie. But it, like, he just has, he's had this like, interesting career. Like he played Hulk for a movie. Hmm. Um, he was in the, the incredible Hulk, which like technically is like lumped into like the first movie of the Marvel, like cinematic world, mm-hmm. but like, they don't talk about it much because it didn't do well. And like, they basically recast everybody 
when they like then did the next iteration, including the Hulk, where they gave mm-hmm. it over to Mark Ruffalo. But yeah, Ed Norton's like when I saw that when he popped up on the cast, like, ooh, he I haven't seen him in something in a minute. That's gonna be fun. And he and did yeah, a just, great job. And to see him playing this like again, like mediocre dude who's just like, I'm gonna do a thing. I'm so brilliant, and then being like, No, you're an idiot. <laughs> What's just, that phrase? The confidence of a mediocre white man? Yep. That's that's him incarnate. And also, like, kind of trailing this back to my murder mystery experience. Um one of the most popular characters. So how how the company that I previously worked for was I would play the victim, die, and then after like a couple minutes, I go do a costume change and then I come back as the detective who's like, all right, so-and-so died. Let's solve the crime, right? So I'm playing an entirely different character. But as far as victims go, the number one type of villain I ever played was the dickbag billionaire. Right? Because in so many situations, people want the rich dead, right? Because they're usually fucking assholes. <laughs> and after watching that movie, I not gonna lie, I had a great amount of fun playing the dickbag billionaire that everyone could rag on because it kind of made me feel good as someone who grew up dirt poor, uh watching a lot right. of people rag on a rich guy, and I was like, Hell yeah. <laughs> um but uh after watching that movie, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a page out of Edward Norton's book because he, I don't know what it was about just the little, like the micro expressions and just the little bodily movements and like the way that every now and then he'd, and then like get frustrated and then carry on. It was just like those little moments I want to carry because he did that so well. And honestly, all of the cast have that kind of energy. It's just, I don't typically play similar characters. Like I don't usually play the, the politician or the scientist or anything, but they all did a fantastic job. Um, and also kind of same can go back to the first knives out movie where again, everyone is playing just downright terrible people. Like for ex- I, 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 it's, um, I am, I am so disappointed in myself that her name is escaping me. <laughs> I am. Uh, Are you talking about Tony Collette or Jamie Lee Curtis? Jamie Lee Curtis. There it is. There it is. That, I'm so disappointed <laughs> yeah. in myself. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, but like, I adore Jamie Lee Curtis. I've met her once before at a convention, sweet as pie. And I've met people who've worked with her, such a sweetheart, huge queer rights advocate, you know, all this and that. But she's such a bitch in that movie <laughs> like oh yeah she's she was awful she was one of the more forgivable um until until the will reading and then i'm like oh no you're just as bad as your siblings you're just as bad as your siblings okay all right but there was something really sad like because she had one of the like at the end of that movie just like her saying they're smoking the cigarette with like the, the letter mm-hmm. just like and then, like, looking up and seeing Marta just, like, standing on the balcony, sipping the coffee out of the cup. I was just, like, I almost feel like if we saw, like, the extended ending of that movie, you'd almost get, like, a Jamie Lee Curtis's character looking over at Marta being, like, I respect the game. Yeah. You did it. Like, you did it well. I, like, yeah. am I pissed? Yes. But you did it well. So good yeah. job. It's like, am I pissed? Yeah, you beat me. But you did it well. And, like, because I also felt out of the characters in that movie that I kind of felt the most bad for one 
Um, I was, I kept waiting for Harlan to come back. I knew he wasn't, but I was so desperate for him to live. <laughs> I was like, and he's going to walk in the door. Right oh, no, he didn't. Um, but I kind of felt bad for the cousin. Um, she was the, the weed smoker who was like friends with Marta. Mm. Um, yeah. Was very disappointed in her when she um, spilled Marta's secret to her family. But I was like, while that is so incredibly wrong, I get it when you're in an abusive family situation. So oh, I'm disappointed in you, hon, but I get where you're coming from. And I was kind of similar with Jamie's character, um, mostly because of the affair. But uh, right. what was really interesting is when my wife and I were watching that movie, um, the guy who played Jamie Lee Curtis's husband, when he's been revealing to have an affair, uh, Nessa saw the woman that he was like sleeping with and it, she appears to be a Filipino woman. And so my, my wife was like, of course, of course it's the white guy who goes off with the, uh, the ethnic woman and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, because it, that, that shitty. And she's like, yeah, no, that, that happens like and it's just all these like little points and i can't remember which actor it was in the first knives out which of the brothers or which it was walt or i think it was the guy who played walt um with the cane who said in an interview once that he got like offered or was asked that if he would ever be offered the role of trump in a bio in a biopic if he'd play it and he went on a tangent of like fuck no i don't want to know what's inside that guy's head i would never fucking take that role i don't care about donald trump i don't want to humanize him fuck him and i'm like yes (laughs) yeah thank you oh sorry i just went on a long ass tangent there i just got no you're good you're good um (laughs) And I think just like recognizing, recognizing time, we're about, we're, we're nearing that hour mark, which I always feel like is a good spot to kind of, to wrap up. So okay. give me your, what for you, what is your kind of final thoughts on this movie? What is, I mean, we, I know we kind of, we've, we spent the last hour like gushing about how much we like have greatly enjoyed this movie, but what are, what's your like final takeaway, big moment, whatever you want to kind of wrap up with? Uh, I have two points. One, I want to go on record and say that a mere few days before the movie came out, um, I did answer a question on, I think, Twitter that was asking me what my favorite mystery movie was and if it could be gayer. And I said, Knives Out. But I think it was actually like, it could be gayer. Like, I do imagine Benoit as a gay guy. But it, you know what? It was, I was I'm content with it. And then I saw it. <laughs> and it was like, Ryan Johnson, buddy, you clearly didn't hear me because that tweet came out long before the movie was done, but thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm not taking cosmic credit for that. I just think that was a hilarious moment. Um, But my main takeaway from that movie is a lot of American viewers, especially I saw this with the first one, didn't like that it was sold as a comedy and then didn't feel like it was a comedy. I don't agree with that Mm. because it's not a token American comedy, but it's a token British comedy and I've always preferred British comedy. Um, not even just not even like made by British people, but like just that drier, less raunchy, less toilet humor, that sort of thing. And I think that they do it very well. It's very clear that Ryan Johnson knows and respects the murder mystery genre because not only did he play with some iconic tropes in these movies, like you're able to kind of look and go, Oh, you're the, this type you're, you're this archetype, you're this archetype, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
but he clearly has fun with it and like kind of bending the rules. Um, and I think that that's really great. And I really applaud Ryan Johnson for that. And I also want to tell, so that was like a moment to Ryan Johnson who will never hear me a moment for the listeners (laughs) who are hearing me. If you like mysteries, if you want to tell a mystery, do it. You don't have to be Ryan Johnson to make your own murder mystery. Honestly, like that was kind of one of the biggest hangups for me is I was always looking up to levels of like clue with Tim Curry and Angela Lansbury and going, if I can't tell a mystery like that, then what's the point? Right. But if Miles has taught us anything, <laughs> it's that mediocre, confident people are going to get their success and we might as well goddamn try ourselves. Right. If you want to try a mystery, any type of mystery, whether it's noir, hard-boiled, comedy, supernatural, cozy, whatever type of mystery it is, do it and have fun. But the most important part of a mystery is your why. And clearly, Ryan Johnson's movies does cover these very well. It's to touch on uh, of societal issues. Those don't need to be your whys, but mystery is a very good genre to do that if you so wish to do so. Um <laughs> And if you haven't seen the Knives Out movies yet, um, you got completely spoiled for both of them, but you should watch them. <laughs> so that's, that's my sign off for, for Glass, uh, Glass Onion Knives Out related stuff. Yeah, I think, I think for me, I think my big, I think the big things that like are the big notes that I have was I think they, they told like a, again like they told the Elon Musk like they almost pulled back the curtain on him to be like look in case you didn't know mm-hmm. this man is an idiot and he'd be very bad at trying to commit murder like he would actually be actively bad at it yep and that's funny like it makes for good comedy but I I and I think I need I think I need to give it another watch to like really sit with some things because I think even when you were talking about how Benoit Blanc like gave. Janelle Monet the space to be angry like that's a huge like it was such a small thing but like the minute you were saying it like my brain was like my brain went cynical and was like wait a cis white gay actually giving a woman of color her space but he like, did it unheard of and like yeah and I think like I think my big takeaway then is it, with some of this is I think it's it's all of those smaller moments that happened in the story that were almost more compelling than the actual like motivation and plot of the murder itself. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, like when you really boil down the plot of it, you're like billionaire was going to almost lose a bunch of money, got angry, murdered woman done. Yeah. Like, like that's, I mean, that's the kind of the arc and like, and I don't say that's like diminish the movie, but it nestled all of that in so many really great moments across different characters and mm-hmm. what that meant for people and what they were trying to achieve. And specifically for Janelle Monet to be able to play that range of two different characters mm-hmm. and playing one of the characters trying to be the other character. And like, and we didn't even get to talking about the entire like extended moment where she was just like fucking drunk, stumbling all over. This I'm house. not going to lie. The first moment that she was shown stumbling, I was so scared that she got drugged or something. And then when you go back and see that she was drunk, I was like, Oh my God, that's so funny. But like all of those. And like, and again, even at the beginning with like the, the small moment with like Hugh Grant in the living room, yelling back, like, Hey, there's a thing here for you. Mm-hmm. I think the, like, I think those were the things that I really appreciated throughout the whole movie was just like these series of small moments that connected into a bigger 
a bigger picture yeah. picture as it burned to the ground. Yeah. Um, but like it, it was just so well done in all of those spaces that I, I just greatly appreciated having that, that narrative arc. And like I said, I, I, it is, it's worth a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if only if, if only just like try and revisit some of the things that you that you have pointed out for me. Also, when you're done, I realize I had two more thoughts. They're very quick, but go for it. You're good. Do it. <laughs> One, uh, when you mentioned like kind of the cynicism of like, wow, a white cis gay guy giving a woman of color like her space to do it, and then that that thought spurred me. Helen and Andy both are black women who are shown enraged. Mm-hmm. right and they are seen as righteous they are seen as correct they are seen as valid like no none of the emotions that any of the care like andy or helen have are dismissed or shushed away by any of like the protagonist characters and when the antagonist's characters do it they are shown in the wrong where it's like you are an asshole for not letting her feel these feelings you are an asshole for telling her that she's too upset you know you like they are in the wrong for these things and i don't think media does that enough uh especially as women of color especially like black women are seen as hostile and violent Mm -hmm. and angry and like dangerous i mean black people in general are seen they're not like allowed to express that anger and i think they did it really well with Helen's character of like, no, she has these feelings. She is in the right and she deserves to feel and express these feelings and to challenge the system that's fucking her over. And she is a goddamn icon. And I love Helen so much. I love Andy too, but like, I really love Helen Um, too. Didn't Elon Musk say that he was going to solve world hunger? Yes. He said he could solve world hunger. Right. Miles was trying to create, a new thing to save the planet was trying to create a new power source and was failing. And I feel like I was like, is that connected? Is there like this like nod to like Elon claiming that he was going to solve world hunger and then fucking not with miles being like, Oh, I've created this new green energy source. Except that was literally the, yeah, that the was literally the thing that then that burned the Mona Lisa, <laughs> which I, I, right before that happened, like right before the the uh, the the big fire started, like when Helen was going and destroying everything, I remember leaning over to my wife and going, "Nessa, he said he wanted to be forever remembered in the same breath as the Mona Lisa. That painting's going to get destroyed." And I didn't expect it to literally go down in flames, but God, that was gorgeous. So yeah, I just also wanted to like those two thoughts came while you were talking, and I wanted to share. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and that when I when he like leaned in and talked to her for a second i knew immediately what she had in her hand i like she didn't even need to show that she had something in her hand i was like he put the thing in her hand it is there she is going to burn this building to the ground and i was all about it yeah um awesome. anyway yeah well, so to wrap up um so i always ask folks um if you would like to be found on the internet where may people find you, whatever socials you might occupy at the moment. Again, acknowledging that, well, this will go up pretty quickly after recording. And I always say like, if Twitter's still alive, <laughs> um, but where, where, where can people find you if they'd like to give you a follow somewhere? 
Aw, thanks for asking. Um, if they would like to follow me for like all that I do, voice acting, um, drag, whatever, I am under most social media handles as Casper Oliver VO. That's Casper like the friendly ghost, Oliver like Oliver and Company, and VO for voiceover. Um, if you specifically want murder mystery based content though, um, like whodunits and capers and all these things, I have a secondary account called Clues and Capers. Uh, all one word, uh, and it'll usually pop up as Casper's Clues and Capers, uh, where I'm doing like movie and book reviews and game reviews and talking about murder mystery content and also sharing a lot of Glass Onion memes because I find them, they're funny, and I post them with credit to the original <laughs> poster. Um, but yeah, so either Casper Oliver VO or uh, Clues and Capers. And you can kind of find all of my social media handles uh, through like the bio of my Instagram. I have a, a link tree so you can find everything there. Awesome. And I will, I will, I'll throw, I'll throw the link tree into the, the show notes so that way folks can easily one click and follow whatever they like to follow. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, um, and for folks listening, if you haven't followed us on Twitter or Instagram already, uh, you can find the queer XP on both platforms. Um, and then share this with your friends. We're on all podcasting platforms and, and services. Um, but Casper, thank you again for, for taking some time this week. I know over the holidays and whatnot is always a busy time. So I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to chat with us. Um, thank you. For and perhaps me. I could, yeah. And, and perhaps maybe down the road, we can, we can rope you into one of our, our actual play tabletop yes. games. Yes, um, please. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome well everyone listening thank you once again this has been wonderful i am probably gonna get off of this call and go watch glass onion one more time and you should get off this episode and go watch it one more time as well i'm also um, going to go do that yeah <laughs> and as always this is the queer experience my name is eric your host and thank you all have a wonderful rest of your week